Rev3 Adventure offers life-enriching outdoor activities for extreme athletes, weekend warriors, and the casual health enthusiasts of all ages. Each event is designed to unleash the adventure within. Check out Rev3Adventure.com in the show notes to find your next adventure. Now let's do this thing. Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, Legendary Randy Erickson. And don't forget to use the code LEGENDARY when you're registering for any of Rev3's races for 10% off. And then they know how many thousands of people are listening to this. And maybe they'll sponsor me some more. Um, Which is cool, because I just had to pay my uh, fees my bandwidth, my storage, so got it done. Thanks, Rev3. This is a Rev3, uh, total Rev3 uh, episode. Mike Spiller is our guest. We talk a lot about some different races, his background, where they came from, how him and uh, Mark got together, and most importantly, after a little break at the end, some really big news about 2017. So I think maybe a lot of people sort of figured out what it is, but uh, you're going to have to listen for like 50 minutes to get there. Um, you might hear my co-host Jimmy and Stevie are with me here, and the chili dog is laying at the door watching. Um, so I think I talked about it, but I'm not going to God Zone. Um, guess what? They don't have any money. But I did figure it out that if every racer from North America that's going sends me a check and or PayPal for $125, I could afford to go. So there, that's not so hard. Um, guess what? I don't think it's going to happen. But I keep throwing it out there because I'm that kind of guy. Um, and it's about 10 days before I go to Belize for the Maya Mountain Adventure Challenge. So, hey, that's going to be cool. And then I think right after that's going to be monster trucks. So, cool. I'm having fun. I uh, had a good hike today with the chili dog. We went down by Sylvan Lake and uh, played in the snow a little bit. Took some pictures, some video, things like that. A normal Saturday. And tomorrow, going to watch the Super Bowl and go Broncos. And I want to let Peyton Manning have a chance to retire. So, Uh, Enough of that. Let's um, see what Mike has to say. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go fast. Take chances. Enjoy. This is Mike. This is Randy. Hey, Randy. How are you doing? Good. I told you it'd be two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I think you might have been faster than two minutes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm on my way home, and everything's good, and got plenty of time, and then I remembered, uh uh-oh, i got to stop and get corn for for the deer. So then I'd run back into town, and so that four minutes, that's not too bad. Oh, no, no, not bad at all. It's, it's a rainy night here in Virginia, and they're calling for some kind of a minor flood warnings. We had three feet of snow last week, so we're dug out of the snow, and now we have a nice uh, spring rain hitting us. Yeah, get rid of all the snow, I bet, yeah. Yeah, they're calling for a little bit more next week, possibly, but nothing like uh, snowmageddon that we had last week. Yeah. Oh, you didn't have snowmageddon. We did 
two was it last not a year ago October we had five feet, which is so unusual for us in October. That was oh. Snowmageddon. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was just nuts. So. Yeah, we our our issue is just in Fairfax County where we live. We got two point one million people, and uh, they all need to get home. And so a, a five mile commute <laughs> can take you eight hours. Wow, that's that's just nuts. And I'm guessing nobody really knows how to drive in snow. No, not not a lot. Uh, it's, uh, um, a lot of people from all over the the world live in the D.C. area, so. You know, many places, yeah. many people come here never even seen the snow before. So it's it's quite an experience, and we typically get a lot of ice too. So the roads get really icy and slick underneath, and and it's it's just a, a hazard. The best thing to do is go to the grocery store and get your supplies, and then stay home for three days. There you go, exactly. So um, okay, enough of the snow report, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, I really like that you actually sent me topics, which is kind of cool because then I don't have to make up stuff. But before we get to that, what does a full-time race director do in the first part of February, which is sort of the off-season, even though I know you don't have an off-season. So what was, what was your day like today? Um, actually, uh, Mark and I met um, for about four hours today, and we are – uh, venting all our branding for the different races that we're putting on this year. We had, uh, you know, an update on um, current sponsors uh, for the different races, uh, what the logos on the shirts will look like, what the shirts look like this year, what the marketing materials look like, what marketing plans we have in place, um, how we're measuring those plans, uh, what supplies need to be ordered. Uh, we just um, acquired a new um, – pull behind trailer it's 24 foot so how can we build this to be more efficient when we're at races with a charging station and we're putting an awning on it and um lcd screens on the outside for our results so that people can just walk up to the trailer um so it's a lot of little notes that we have during the race season and frustrations we might run into uh at the different mm -hmm. races that we put on and then we say okay how can we make it better so Really, the month of November, going into December, we have a little bit of downtime, but a lot of our um, marketing um, plans have to be in place to hit the holidays. And as of mm -hmm. January 1st, we have to have a lot of things already completed. So um, we do have a little bit of downtime. We would say it's December. Um, the nice thing about January and February is we have flexibility with our schedule, but Mark and I will both tell you, uh, we get up at 6 in the morning, we're on our computers, and into 8, 9 o'clock at night, we're still, you know, updating the websites, opening up registrations, adding our races to different race calendars, uh, responding to emails. I mean, we probably manage twelve to 16,000 individual racers during the season, so just the customer service part of that component you know we get loads of emails and we're always responding to those different emails and stuff like that so it's it's still a busy time but we have a lot more flexibility in our schedule so that's the nice part yeah the, this is the hard part how do you guys split up what you do is there i mean do you is there something that you focus on something that mark focuses on or is it yeah, just whatever um, needs to be done I think we both started as race directors. Um, you know, Mark and I raced together and 
we kind of started a, a club years ago in Northern Virginia. Um, and with just people who liked either triathlons or um, adventure races or trail runs. And then I, the first couple races I, I kind of put on and then Mark helped. And then after that, Mark more or less took the lead. Uh, Mark's background is engineering and my background's IT. And, um, you know, I kind of look at IT with a marketing perspective and Mark looks at things as far as processes and details. So I think we have a, a good com- combination uh, with our ter- two personalities. I probably frustrate him sometimes because I come w- up with some crazy ideas like uh, saying yes to the state of Wyoming when they called us um, for an RFP. And we both had full-time jobs. Uh, and I think Mark now has taken over the role of primarily our race director for our big events. So um, our epic races, the, the tough race out in, in Wyoming, um, our national uh, half marathon series, which is called the Run and Ride, and then our trail running series uh, that we have here in Northern Virginia. We also have a half marathon uh, called the Leaf Peeper in Front Royal. Um, so I would say Mark manages primarily the uh, major events, and then I focus on a lot of our smaller events, our glow runs, our family adventure races, and then I focus a lot more on the marketing side and business development. So mm-hmm. I think uh, when we get a, when I find a venue, I've been at the National Association of Sports Commission, so I meet with visitors bureaus. Um, we get inf- emails into our info account uh, about possibly hosting races. So I follow up on a lot of those leads and uh, kind of get the plans in place. Uh, I would say the bird's eye view of a race course, and then Mark comes in and really gets the details and the timing down and, and those types of things. So uh, I think we're a, a good good match there. I think I frustrate him more than he frustrates me. But at the same time, I don't think we're stepping on each other's toes. And we're at a pretty good spot right now. Uh, after doing this more or less three years full time, we're, we're at a spot where we're not really adding new races. We're kind of fine-tuning the races that we have, and we might drop a race to add a new race. Um, yeah. A lot more people are approaching us about hosting races, uh, so that that's a good position for us to be in. And we're kind of in a growth mode as far as the races that we are hosting. We want to kind of grow a lot of them into annual events, into more uh, festival type of atmospheres. And um, you know, I think it, it's it's a good a good partnership. I would say that we have together. Yeah. Well, you seem to work well. I here's here's my opinion it seems like you do all the heavy lifting at cowboy tough because i never see you (laughs) (laughs) well so i I would i would disagree a little bit um i think mark mark is working with less sleep because he is literally out there a week before the race setting up and then managing that race and then i think between the two of us we kind of break it down but then i'm right running uh parallel in many cases you know, five or six smaller races at the same time. And then, but you know, my heart, I want to be out on the uh, cowboy top course. So this year I was fortunate by changing the dates. We moved the smaller races up a week and then, um, moved the cowboy tough on its own race week. I was able to be at the finish line for the first time. Usually I'm at the finish line and then I'm gone. And then this year I was out on day one and then I swept day one. So I wasn't seen again until day three because I was, 
finding lost teams. I was clearing checkpoints and those types of things. But it was it was great being out on the course. I get more sleep, um, but Mark, um, I think, is really out in in the uh, back country of Wyoming, enjoying some of the sceneries. And I'm dealing with a lot more small logistics and putting out a lot more small fires where, you know, Mark big fires would be, well, there's a team lost and we don't know where they are because they're GPS tracking. <laughs> so once again, yeah. um, you know, I, I just, I love that race out in Wyoming. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm involved with helping set it up. He and I kind of talk it out uh, over maps. And then this year we were actually able to spend, you know, a couple of days after the race looking at, uh, the first two days uh, going into this year and how the race is finishing. And then now Mark's been working on the maps uh, to, to fine tune the course, but I'll be on the course kind of similar to last year where I'll be involved in the first day and then I'll be probably setting the course for the last day. And, but Mark is entwined every single day. So I get to enjoy yeah. a little bit of it in the middle and then all my races take place the week before. But then in the situation that we have now, Mark will actually be able to help me because he'll he'll manage one or two of those races or assist with those and then maybe go out and set some checkpoints for the the expedition race uh but the format we have it set up now it's it's really nice because it's really a week long of activities in wyoming where we have a sprint adventure race which is called our tenderfoot and then we have a eight to twelve hour race which is called the strong uh this year we're going to have a bike orienteering course we're going to have a O course on Casper Mountain. We're going to have an urban challenge in Casper. Two of our glow runs, which are really couch to 5K races, and it ties into Governor Mead's concept of really getting families active outdoors and really highlighting all these uh, different activities that take place in Wyoming. So I think going into the fourth year, we're kind of finally getting it and have a good understanding of uh, what it takes to do the race. But when the race is finished, we both enjoy a nice shot of Wyoming whiskey. Uh, and then we go out and clear the checkpoint. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, well, let's jump around a little bit. You've kind of branded your races what with the Tenderfoot, the Scout, and the Expedition. Is that how it is this year? Yeah. Um, you know, the the problem we run into is with the adventure racing community. If a lot of people that are coming over to the adventure racers are trail runners or triathletes or a lot of these people that are doing these mud runs and muddy buddies, and they don't understand the term sprint or full day adventure race or expedition race. So what we wanted to do is come up with some terminology that we're trying to brand. And that is we used to have something called a, uh, a family adventure race and then a sprint adventure race. And people were confused. Well, uh, yeah. which one should I do? Uh, my son's 13. So we created what's called the Tenderfoot. And the Tenderfoot really is a two- to four-hour race where all your checkpoints are going to be on trails, very easy to find. A fast team can finish it in two hours. A slow team can do it in four hours. And anybody from the age of six to 99 can participate in a Tenderfoot. It'll have a water challenge. Uh, what we've typically been doing is using stand-up paddle boards as the water challenge in that race. Uh, it'll have some mountain biking or hybrid biking um, in that type of race and basic trail navigation. And then a few mine challenges like puzzles or maybe going across an inlet on an inner tube with a rope uh, where they're laying on the inner tube. Something very easy to accomplish, something that kids can come out and do. 
Uh, and then this next level we call the strong, which typically used to be either a long uh, sprint race or a full day race. And that race, the concept is a fast person working really hard can clear it in about six, six and a half hours. And a slow person can take 12 hours. But it is a race that you, you'll be hurting on. I mean, to do it in six hours, you're, you're smoking the course, has some, a little bit more challenging uh, navigation, but still not, uh, not plotting. Like your checkpoints will be on trails or on streams or on high points. So it's going to be easier navigation. But this is for that Ironman type of athlete or triathlete coming over and wants to try an adventure race to what we all consider an adventure race, which is a mountain biking component, a paddling component, um, a trekking component with some navigation. So that is our strong. And then our epic format is typically a 24 to um, 30 hour race overnight. Uh, it's going to have you know the paddling, the trekking, the mountain biking, physical challenges, uh, and many of them will be a ropes challenge like we have in the Epic this year or in Cowboy Tough. They all have ropes challenges. Um, that one will be a lot more strategy. Uh, there will only be a few mandatory points and lots of optional points. And our goal is a fast team can clear the course. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Um, yeah. But in many cases, we want a fast team to be able to clear the course but come in Let's say we have 50 checkpoints. You might come in with 49 checkpoints with eight minutes to go. I mean, and you are just spent. But then a beginner team might go out and get 22 checkpoints and come in at two in the morning. That's called an epic race. Uh, it's you know we don't really have we have some solo categories, but we try to make it really team based. Uh, so you're only as strong as your slowest um, uh, teammate. And uh, we do several of those. We're hosting uh, USARA Nationals this year in uh, Columbia County, Georgia. Uh, that'll be our um, final race of the season. It'll be a national race down there. And then that is our epic uh, level race. And then our tough level race is anything that's, you know, three days or more. And Wyoming, yeah. of course, has been three and a half days for uh, the last three years. We'll continue as a three and a half day race uh, this year. And then next year it'll be a five to seven day race. Uh, but anything that we have that's over a three day race will always be our tough race. That way on our website, we kind of have a general description. And then when somebody contacts us about hosting a race, we can say, these are the different formats that we produce. And then that way we can work with a local community. Like we work with Columbia County, Georgia to create a, an epic race last year, a strong race and a tenderfoot race. Um, so, it was easier for us to come up with some terminology that somebody that's not part of the adventure racing community might understand and uh, then hopefully get some of these people that are doing the mud runs and stuff to cross over and really do what we consider an adventure race, which is a multi-challenge um, type of race with the mountain biking, uh, paddling, and uh, trekking. Yeah. I mean, you've sort of had these races, so have you seen um, the Tenderfoots moving up yet? Yeah, um, you know, I mean, that's our fastest – I would say it's our fastest growing um, race um, because people are starting to understand it. We're actually advertising more. We're getting a lot of repeat customers. Uh, I would say about 70% of our Tenderfoot uh, customers are repeats, which is nice. Um, yeah. And I'm saying it's our fastest growing, but actually the strong race is fast growing very fast too um reason being is we see people dropping from the epic down to the strong which we yeah. we like and don't like it means our 
epic race you know, in the Shenandoah Valley two years ago had 170 people uh, in that race, but we only had the sprint race and the epic. So last year in the Shenandoah Valley, the strong race had 125 athletes, but our epic race only had 90. So we our numbers in the epic went down, but that's really a good thing because there's so many people during the winter that look at, hey, I want to try something really different, and then they sign up for the epic, and they don't realize that is a very hard race. Um, so we'll get people that sign up for the epic, and then you know a month out they'll back out of it and move down to the yeah. strong. But our fastest growing races are the uh, tenderfoot in the um, strong, but the people that are doing the strong will see you know. I'd say five to ten percent of those step up mm-hmm. and try the epic. What we were seeing is people would go out and do the epic and then never do another adventure race. They were just beat. It was too hard for them. Um, there needed to be a middle tier. So it's nice having that strong division. And what we're hoping to do is um, somebody comes and does the strong, maybe does it a second time and feels like, okay, I want to step up to the next level, and then comes and tries the epic. At the same time, when they're doing the strong, they start finding other teammates that finish you know, around the same time they did, and they form teams that want to try the epic race, and then we get repeat customers. So they come out maybe with their family for the tenderfoot, or the husband comes out, or the wife comes out and does the strong, and then the family can do the the tenderfoot race. So really, uh, a way that uh, the family can come out and enjoy the weekend of races, and then when somebody does the epic race, the family can still participate in the tenderfoot race. And then the day before, we try to create some kind of viewing areas where they could go and watch uh, part of the paddle section when they come to the rapids. Or the way Mark designed the course last year in Front Royal for that race, they went through and they did a historical challenge uh, within the town of Front Royal. So we had viewing spots for families to come and watch to make it a little bit more spectator-friendly. And um, we feel we kind of need that in the sport because otherwise you just see a start of an adventure race. And then about an eight-hour window of people finishing, and yeah. it's not—it's—it's it's not a place where it's spectator-friendly. Um, and we want to add something that oh, they can see them a couple times on the race course. And we're doing that a little bit with Wyoming, where last year we had about six spots where families or friends could have gone, and uh, we'll do that again this year. We'll we'll let people know the day before the race. Um, here are yeah. six spots that you'll be able to see them over the next few days. And then the way we have it set up, we have it so that you can you can see people at certain times and know that people will be coming through. So, yeah, it's it's not a spectator-friendly sport, so anything we can do helps, right? <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, um, we're, we're trying to shoot some videos. Um, we're allowing racers to, when they come into transition in the Epic, and Mark did it in the Cowboy Tough, is um, – we're going to have a board up, and this is where those um, LCD screens come into play. And, and if we have to go old school, we'll go old school. But when you come into transition, uh, your family and friends can uh, send you tweets, and then we'll post them. Mm-hmm. So you'll come in and your so. team one, 101, and you might have eight different tweets that we're putting up on a board so that we're allowing you to come in. And then even when you're in transition, if you want to send a message back, uh, you can do that, or we can take a picture. And we try to um, – and Mark's done a very good job. We use the sport, I, um, uh, the orienteering um, uh, checkpoint sport system, ident. the sport ident system. And, you know, when we finish a race, our results are ready to go within a half yeah. hour. I mean, they're live. Yep. So when you come in, you're downloading <laughs> that information, and we're getting it up. 
uh, online. And, and those, are, those are some of the things that we're going to continue to improve on is getting those downloads, letting people know where they are ranked. You know, it's so frustrating when you leave a race and it's like it's unofficial and, and those types of things. Um, when you have a timing system like this, the only thing you're looking at afterwards is, um, you know, if there's some complaints filed and you have to find out if somebody needs to be uh, disqualified or their, their um, fob didn't work in a checkpoint, we can go back and reference that or if it's on the same track, those types of things. But, uh, you know, it, it allows us to get really quick access to um, the results throughout the race and, um, you know, that way people, more people are following online. We'll see, you know, several thousand people on race weekend following, um, you know, our Facebook and our results page, which is great. Yeah. You know, when you, when you have uh, a couple hundred people racing, uh, so the Epic recent weekend is over 500 people now and our website is just hammered. You know, it's great seeing all that follow through. We're looking at how we can produce the results even better, uh, producing some videos before the race. So, that during the race, um, Mark or I might shoot a video and say, this is what people are on now. They're on the paddle section on the Shenandoah River. It's a 13-mile paddle. Do a 30-second video clip, and then during the race, those automatically come up in a queue on Facebook, and you can watch so you can see where they are uh, during the race. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of that relies on cell phone coverage and, um, you know, communications. But we're working on that. Last year, uh, Mark's wife, Margot, was probably up for three and a half days. She was back in Virginia, but you know, out there, even with yep. satellite phones, we were running into issues. So Margo was back in Virginia, and sometimes I had to communicate to Margo with results through my satellite um, um, communications because I couldn't get through to Mark or he was working. But then that way, when people were coming through where I was up in the Bighorns, she was getting the results up online. I didn't have internet access, but I could communicate with her. So Margo was constantly updating stuff throughout the race. So midway through day one, all the way up until like midnight, I was, I was giving her posts. I was taking pictures. And then when I got out of the mountain, I could send her the pictures. But in the meantime, she was still posting teams were coming through checkpoint 13, those types of things. And, you know, with our sport, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to let people know, you know, one huge challenge that these individuals are going through, but at the same time, let them be able to follow the racers to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, I, and I want to make sure Margo gets a shout out. Cause I know the first night I posted some video at like one thirty in the morning and like 10 minutes later, I get a text from her says I got him. So, so, and that's like three thirty in the morning. Your time, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mar Margo <laughs> but, didn't, didn't sleep at all, uh, during the no. race. Um, and, you know, that's where re she really fills uh, fills in. I mean, this is a, really a family business. I mean, it's it's Mark and Margo and Mike and Vanessa. Vanessa focuses on our sponsorships. She's the one who negotiates with the state of Wyoming and Cameco and Anadarko and Wyoming State Parks. She is the person that really is making sure that they're happy as the races are taking place. So she, I think, last year came out to um, – do the opening of the race, but then we have kids and Mark has kids and our kids are the same age. So it's, it's hard for our wives to kind of be out in Wyoming, but it really yeah. is a family business. We'll have staff meetings and it's, it's our family. Um, and Margo has kind of left her full-time editing job. And then my wife is a nutritionist and a, a personal trainer. And she's kind of left those elements to really help us grow uh, rev three adventure into, 
you know, a, a, a real, a real business. And that's uh, where we've transitioned it over the last three years. Our passion is adventure races, you know, and yeah. we host three to four different adventure races uh, throughout the year, but the audience is so small that we have to balance that with um, our, our road races and our glow runs and, and those types of things, because that's really race management and that's what we've evolved to. But it's a still, it's the satisfaction of we're producing things that are growing and they're family friendly. We get repeat customers and it's sort of like between Mark and I, we probably have 150 to 200 races um, stemming from 5k races to girls on the run to marathons to expedition races. Um, and, you know, we've kind of combined all of that uh, with IT backgrounds and, you know, like Margo's a writer and my wife's uh, has her master's in marketing. So, you know, it, it, it ties all those types of things and kind of brings us to a lifestyle that we're producing something that we, we feel has really good value and we see that it's growing and it's just really a kind of a family run business that we've turned into uh, something that like we're, we're almost saying to ourselves, we can make a living doing this. <laughs> You're getting close anyway, right? <laughs> I don't want to tell you what our hourly rate is because yeah. <laughs> I think we're below the poverty line. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, we're, we're doing something that we, we have a passion for at this time. And, um, I think this year it's a, a little less stressed than the last two years when, when we were worried about, Oh my gosh, this race only has 20 people signed up for it. And, uh, we're at a point now where we can kind of cut out the smaller races and continue to grow our successful races. But at the same time, we have tons of ideas on new things that we're going, you'll see be popping up on our website over the next few years. And, um, you know, we'll be producing all kinds of neat and fun adventures. Do do you think that that's the new normal for a business is to have to do 50 different things and do them all well? Um, you know, that what we're doing is there's two different, um, I think, ways to look at it. There is the way to look at it where you go out and you spend a whole bunch of money like the color runs. Okay. They're hugely mm-hmm. successful. I'm not going to take anything away from them, those races, because when you get, you know, six to 10,000 people out throwing, you know, colored starch on each other um, at a venue, at a racetrack or in a town and stuff that that's hugely successful. That is a big race. A lot of people are, are at the race, but you've had to spend a lot of money to produce it, uh, a lot of marketing dollars involved. And then where is that race in five years? Um, our approach is build a good quality of race, make very few mistakes, get good feedback, and enhance that experience. So that is our approach instead of going out and spending you know, $25,000 on a race marketing it, we spend more kind of the guerrilla marketing. We do spend money marketing dollars, but we want a good high quality metal. We want a great course. We want good post-race food. Um, we want a atmosphere where you thought you got a, a, a return for your money. And we definitely want you to tell your friends about it and come back again. Um, yeah. and you know, what's good about, you know, the Spartan race or the tough mutter is it's getting all these people to come out uh, to try, you know, mud runs and which they're calling, you know, an outside magazine, they're calling that an adventure race. Um, we're hoping they start doing searches on adventure races. And then companies like ours that have been holding these adventure races, they're like, 
hey, let's come out and try this. I did it with a couple guys from work. Um, let me go out and and do this with a couple guys as a team and and see if I, I enjoy that. I think what people are looking for now is different types of races. Um, there's so many 5Ks, Randy. We get called yeah. every week to produce a 5K. And yep. we, we, for charity, we say, probably. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got one. A call two days ago from the University of Tennessee. And I, they said, we want to host a race in Tennessee. And I, I'm like, well, we do a glow run. Why don't you partner with us? And we'll give $5 to your charity for every racer. They said they want to do it. And I said, okay, well, you got to get permits. You have to pay police officers. You have to produce a shirt. You have to get medals. You have to do post-race food. You know, all of a sudden they looked at the, they did the math and like, well, what, how can we give money to charity? And I said, yeah. exactly. This is what you have to do <laughs> just to put on a race. And yeah. then people can give a donation to charity through, we use active.com and they can donate right on active.com. But we build in, um, for every race that we do, we build in some way of getting, giving back to the local community. It's either through the volunteer program, it's donating online through a 501c3, it's hiring local people to help us produce the races. Um, with our Run and Ride series, uh, we gave uh, over $20,000 last year to the American Cancer Society or local charities. And some were in a cash donation where a lot of it was cash donations, but uh, then the other uh, side of it was we donated spots to racers. Um, local firemen, police officers, those types of things. And then a local cross-country team would come out and run one of our aid stations, and we give a donation to that cross-country team. So we're always looking to give back, and that's the way we kind of give, give back. But back to answer the question on why so many different types of races, yeah. there's not enough people, um, I think, attracted to adventure racing for us to do all our races as adventure races. Yeah. Plus – we want to um, kind of produce races to the masses. So our glow run is a, is a silly race, but it's actually a very touching type of race because it's a couch to 5K concept. And that is it's not timed. It's 20 minutes before it gets dark, so it gets dark during the race. People have, you know, light-colored shirts, pinks and bright yellows, and we have black lights and fog machines at our, our finish line. And it's an event to get people outside active with their kids, which is really – that's our heartstrings. And mm -hmm. that race, uh, last year, we probably had 5,000 people that did our glow-ups. And um, those races are a lot easier to produce, a lot less logistics than the adventure race. That's where our passion is. But at the same time, I think we enjoy putting on those glow runs, too, because it's getting people active outside. And in today's society, you know, it, people are commuting in their cars. They're working hard. They're not staying active. And if we can get them outside and active in that format, we don't mind producing those types of races. And then that, yeah. the next step is our half marathon series, the run and rides. Uh, we have a great partnership with Cedar uh, Fair Entertainment, and uh, <clears throat> we produced triathlons at Cedar Point for years, and they were looking for a race management company. And a lot of their different parks were producing races, but it wasn't the same brand across the board. It wasn't the same touch and feel for each experience. So they worked with us in the first year we produced it in three of their parks, uh, last year, five of their parks. And then this year it's six of their parks. And it's uh, a great concept. Once again, it's a half marathon and it's one of the most popular races that's out there. You sign up for the race, you get free entry to the park on race weekend. So you can run at Cedar point and, um, on Friday, Saturday or Sunday, you can enjoy the park. <laughs> and the funny thing is we do a, a, a one mile Snoopy run, a 5k, it's, usually our, our uh, charity run, 
um, find a local partnership or charity to work with. Last year was American Cancer Society. This year we're doing work with Boys and Girls Clubs of America. That's our national uh, charity for that series. Uh, and then our 10K is named after their newest roller coaster. But right now you can go to Kings Island or let's, let's say uh, one of our early races, Kings Dominion. It's $62 to get in um, the park in May. You can run our race right now for 40 to $45 and get free entry to the park after the race or the race weekend. So, so it's cheaper to run our race <laughs> and then go into the park than it is to go pay for a ticket. But that's because our so. partnership with uh, Cedar Fair is so good. It's Once again, it ties to getting families active outdoors, uh, getting them to do things together. And if you look at everything that we produce, Randy, that's our concept. It's really getting yeah. – and that's – how we came up with our races is, is Mark and I were, were traveling and we go to these 24 hour races and three and a half day races. And our families, if they did go, didn't see us. So that's why we did the family right. adventure races. And we tried to have that component so that there's, there's something for the family members, even though there's a, a race that might be a half marathon or a three and a half day expedition race. Um, there's still a, a component that really um, caters to the family and, and having something for them to do. Yeah, makes sense. Um, say one. Let's let's do one more thing on the on the company, and then I want to move into a little bit more racing. But are you guys like the only ones doing this in the country at this scale, at least? Um, I don't know. You know, um, you know, there's bigger race management companies. Yeah that are doing, uh, putting on this type of thing. I think it's really unique what we do um, because mm -hmm. with Mark and I working for Rev3 Triathlon for the last two years uh, before really kind of going out on our own in 2015 and just focusing 100% on the adventure races, our model is we could produce any type of race. And we can do a triathlon. We can do an Xterra. Um, you know, we have the equipment. We have access to staff. Um and resources to produce any kind of race. So where I think a lot of companies focus on a particular type of race, they might focus on a half marathon series like competitor does with rock and roll. Um, yeah. But they're not going to go out. Actually, you know, they do go out and do some exterior races and stuff like that. But I think uh, we're a full service race management company. And what we do when we visit with convention and visitors bureau or chambers of commerce, um, or people that are looking to produce a race, we talk to them and we say, what does your area have to offer? And then we create a unique event for that area. If they have great trails and some good roads, we'll do an on-off-road type of race. Um, we really work with that local community, and that's where this new race that we created this year came up. It's called the Shannon Duro. Uh, in the Front Royal area back in the 70s and 80s, they used to have this big regatta uh, canoe race. And it would, you know, you had a couple different divisions, 38 miles, 26 miles, 13 miles. And they would get 1,000 people to come out and, huh. and paddle. And back in the 90s, it just, nobody was producing anymore. The people just got burned out producing it. And uh, they mentioned it to us. And Mark kind of revitalized that idea. He said, you know what? Let's take our model and we'll call it the Shannon Duro. So that weekend, there is a canoe regatta going on. There's an endurance mountain bike race going on. There's a 5K, 10K, and half marathon trail race. So all these things are taking place that weekend, and it really caters to what the, the Shenandoah Valley and Front Royal has to offer. And and it, a little of it was a push from them, a nudge from them saying, you know what, we'd love to have a, a canoe race again. And then we pitched, well, canoe race, 
won't keep us busy enough for the whole weekend. Why don't we produce multiple events to cater to a larger audience? So I would say we're unique because we, I feel like we can produce any type of uh, event um, from a one-mile fun run to a multi-day expedition race to a triathlon. And uh, just one, we have the experience because we did work for uh, Rep3 Tri as director of logistics and director of operations for a couple of years. Um, so we, we have that background and it was a full-time job. And then now we've taken that into our own race management company and um, kind of do it on our own. But somebody, it happens, I would say every other week, somebody approaches on an idea and with our experience, we come up with kind of a unique event and I feel like we can produce any type of event, but I don't want to say we're the only ones doing it. There might be somebody else out there doing it, but it is our full-time job. Uh, you know, we have four to five employees and, um, it's 365 days a year. (laughs) And then some, yeah. So, um, so you talked a little bit about races that you and Mark went to, to, Obviously, you have a background in racing. When's the last time you raced? Ooh, uh, <laughs> I raced two years ago. Um, it was a USARA qualifier in Pennsylvania, and we were neck and neck, first and second the whole race, finished second. And I, when I walked off that course, I said, this is my last race, uh, adventure race. Because my mentality is I want to be I want to be a competitor in anything I do, so mm-hmm. I'm always trying to compete, and I need to take a step back and enjoy the journey, and that's my next phase. Um, we were kind of looking at uh, Florida coast to coast or sea to sea this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark uh, raced, um, I think at least one adventure race last year, and I'm training for a um, a marathon to I'm going to qualify for the Boston Marathon this year. So we do some racing, but Back in our day, I would say we were racing probably 12 to 15 times a year. And now we're probably racing three to four times a year. Uh, yeah. But I think that'll grow. Uh, you know, like I know Mark's playing on at least one to two adventure races. Uh, I'm signed up for a half marathon um, and a full marathon. And then I think next year I got a group of guys and we're going to do um, some kind of um, a long adventure race, a three and a half day, uh, race or, uh, a multi-day bike race or something like that. So I, our last two years, we've just been working so much because we were running rep three adventure at the same time as we were working for the triathlon company. So we literally had no time off then. Now that we're yeah. doing uh, rep three adventure on our own, we do have these off months and then there is off weekends that we can go out and do other races. I think Mark was signed up for the Shenandoah 100 mountain bike race last year. Um, he'll probably plan on trying to do that race again this year. So uh, not as much as we did back in our day, but uh, I, you know, our, our goal is both of us want to get out probably two to five times. And at least one of those races, our families be involved somehow or another. Yeah. Sounds good. So, cause there is a, you do have a rev three, adventure race team right oh yeah yeah it's you know it's really a marketing tool for us it's our way of giving back um to the adventure race community Uh, this year the epic actually has cash prizes for um every division we go seven deep in so if it's a two-man division or if it's a a co-ed four-person team or a co-ed two-person team i think all of those are already seven deep so they'll get prize money i think it's 
500, 400, 300. Um, it's on our website, but yeah. we like to give back. And one way of giving back for us is, is sponsoring a team. Um, and mm-hmm. they, you know, they wear our, our jerseys. Uh, they actually volunteer at a lot of our events. They help us sweep. They help us, uh, usually not set the course. We have one or two that we might let help set the course, but they help us sweep courses. Um, yeah. And they help us with uh, transition areas, those types of things. But yeah, we sponsored a team for, I would say, seven or eight years now, and uh, they'll be out there. They, it's a team of about twelve people, and they race all over the country, um, primarily on the East Coast. But we, they get out to Cowboy Tough, and they've done a couple international races as well. And Dave Ashley was the team captain for the last four or five years. He's a Air Force um, officer. We have several military guys on our team. Um, and they've been with us for, you know, a lot of the guys on our team have been with us for five, six years. And every year we try to recruit, you know, two or three new people. And, uh, then we have, we used to have what we called a national and then a local team. The local team was allowing people to get trained by people that might race on the national level. And, um, we still kind of have that format where we do a lot of stuff in the off season so that people learn how to do orienteering. They can train with somebody, uh, you know, uh, for a longer type of race, some of our elite racers might um, race the epic race in the Shenandoah Valley with three new racers just to kind of give them experience. Uh, but, yeah, we, we've sponsored a team for several years, and that's both, you know, financially, it's, it's discounts on races, it's gear, uh, and those types of things. Yeah. So do you uh, have a sponsor's exemption so you can go to the team and say, hey, I want to do this race with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think a couple of them really want to race with me, uh, or, or or Mark. Uh, I think they like our personalities. I don't know if we can compete at some of their levels right now. Uh, yeah. You know, especially with Mark, he's a great navigator. Um, I, I think I'm very good at strategy. I look for every corner you can cut on a race and say, okay, instead of going around this river by cut, taking that bridge that's three miles down the river, let's take inner tubes and float across. You know, so I'm really yeah. good on the strategy. I. I I push the rules to the, to the edge. Um, but, yeah, you know, a couple of them want to, to, to race with us. And, and when Mark and I are going out, we are racing with uh, some of the people on our our uh, local or national team. I personally can't compete with the, a couple of the guys that are on our national team. They are just phenomenal athletes, and I can't race the endurance that they do at this time. So I would be that slowest man on your team if I did race with them. But, <laughs> Uh, they, I, I, they throw us a bone every once in a while and, and they, uh, ask us to race with them. Yeah. Wow. That's nice of them. Yeah. Um, Kate, here's a version of my stock question. What's, what's the best six hours and the worst six hours you ever had as a race director? Oh, uh, the best six hours, um, as a race director. Mm-hmm. So the worst six hours, we'll start with that one. Uh, the probably okay. thing, everybody, right? everybody does. That's okay. weird about adventure racers. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's probably the, the same race too. Um, mm-hmm. it's the, um, the first year that we put on the Shenandoah epic, uh, race, we had permits for skyline drive and, um, somehow or another they figured out, well, I guess, the head ranger of the park said a week before the race said, no, there's no race allowed on federal park land. 
and all of a sudden we had to redo the whole route. And that's when Mark really stepped up and had to redo our whole route for a, you know, uh, a 26 hour, actually a 30 hour race within a week, um, reproduce the maps, move all our checkpoints. And then it was the hundred year storm the same weekend where we had torrential downpour. We had to cancel the paddle. We had to shuttle people back and forth. So, um, that race weekend was a tough weekend because uh, it was our first big step of going from a sprint race or a family race to a USARA national qualifying race. And then in that same race, we had a major injury. Um, yeah. So uh, we had canceled the paddle. Uh, we were waiting for the last team to come down to the paddle to shuttle them back to uh, the next leg of the race because the river was too high. They were Navy cadets uh, from the Naval Academy or plebes. And a tree fell um, on a paved road. It was ruled an act of God and landed on one of the racers. So wow. that was the worst experience in any race. It was all the yeah. same race. It was just all these things were stacked against us in that race. Uh, Mark had the processes in place. Uh, both Mark and I are first responders. He was the first person on the scene. Um, you know, EMTs were called in. Then the person was in medevac uh, from one hospital to another hospital in surgery within, you know, uh, 12 hours of the injury taking place um, from one hospital to another. So everything was handled the correct way, which was good. So that was, yeah. it was good that everything was in, in place. It was bad that an accident happened. But the good thing about that race is we pulled it off, uh, rerouting it, new permits. Everybody who finished was like, this was great. People were every point was in the right location. So, you know, there wasn't anybody going that you guys had something in the wrong location. And the way we pulled off the logistics for that race, I mean, we didn't sleep for four or five days for that race. We had full-time jobs that we had to leave Sunday after clearing the course. We, we had to be at work on Monday. And um, so the best feeling was just seeing every team come across and them being so happy because they had finished, a 30 hour race. And some people it was their first 30 hour race that they had completed. And it's sort of like a wedding. These people don't know all the problems we were dealing with behind the scenes. And they just saw the final yeah. product and they were impressed. We had a good cookout. We had good awards. All our points were in the right location. And our feedback that came back was so positive that when Mark and I said, you know what, let's do it again. And then we started after that, we, okay, we did the Epic again the next year, but then we had two or three races taking place on the same weekend. So it was really the same race. It's, it's a race that'll always be my favorite race. And that's the, the Epic race in the Shenandoah Valley, which first raced and everything came together well with the finishing and the bad things that did happen in the race. We worked around them or we had processes in place to take care of the emergency situation. Yeah. So I'm, you're lucky I didn't cry on that. So, okay. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think cry, you don't cry when you tell that story. I, that would have been her first. I don't think anybody's cried on the podcast yet. So <laughs> it would have been good. Um, okay. Here's, here's the note on the, uh, that you sent me. So this may be a whole nother episode, but we'll just keep going. And what you wrote is, will AR worlds be coming to the United States in 2017 as cowboy tough? Possible format, roots, goals, and TV options. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That, <laughs> I can't <laughs> give too much away. Um, I'll just say negotiations are taking place. 
Um, okay. For that race, uh, you know, we became a world qualifier last year. Uh, AR Worlds mm-hmm. has not been in the United States. Um, yep. You know, with with Primal Quest coming back, which is great for the sport. Uh, you know, that was my last expedition race. I did Primal Quest Montana, and yeah. uh, you know, it's it's great having a high profile race back in the United States. Yeah. Expedition Alaska is another great expedition race. So, wouldn't that be great to have something like a Primal Quest taking place, uh, Expedition Alaska, and AR Worlds all in the same year, maybe yeah. uh, a couple months apart, so that people can. Yep. Uh, have a great variety of expedition races. Um, yeah. Our goal was to build the race in Wyoming uh, into a world-class race. You've experienced it. Um, you've seen mm-hmm. how it's grown. Um, you're part of our media team that's out at the race. Uh, we think we can host a world-class event. Uh, we've received feedback from, you know, the <laughs> team that, from Norway that was there last year. You know, of course, um, Technu, which is now American Medical Kits, you know, Kits. they race all over yeah. the world. They're they're like, this is great. You guys should think about it. Uh, yeah. We we've, we've discussed with Craig um, from Air Worlds that we are interested. Um, we have interest um, by sponsors. We have interest. Possibly, I have one production team that's already very committed. They they shot our race two years ago, so they would be mm-hmm. interested in shooting it and pitching it. Um, we have other contacts that uh, can help us possibly get it on TV. And we think that class of race um, in the United States, in Wyoming, would be phenomenal. And uh, we're pushing hard to, to see if we can get it. But, you know, there's there's an expense involved uh, with hosting yeah. that race. And we have to make sure, as a business, it works for us. Um, if yeah. it if, if it takes us away from some of our other profitable races because of the timing, that might not work for us. Um, but we think we can produce a great event. We know we have a state. Hey, everybody. Legendary Randy Erickson here, jumping in with a quick word from Journey Racing. Their Nomad is an epic 48-hour race full of adventure. This race is ideal to get your feet wet in multi-day adventure racing. Just finishing this race will be a feat, and clearing the course will earn you the elite title of Nomad. Expect rugged mountain adventure in the wilds of Colorado. The Nomad will include gravel and single-track mountain biking, bushwhacking, boulder scrambling, trekking, and navigation, and, on top of everything else, a hair-raising guided whitewater trip through the Royal Gorge. Pretty cool. Um, the Nomad will be the race of your life. Coming June uh, 10th through the 12th of this summer 2016 with pre-race events beginning on the 9th check out our show notes for links to the race and uh, hopefully we'll see you there i'm gonna be there did i just keep talking um no i got cut off this here's the here's the wonderful technology being in the woods we use uh our cell phones as hot spots uh uh-huh. for the internet and my mom called so <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, so, so the last thing, yeah, the last thing I got is you're talking about Wyoming. Yeah, well, I mean, we think we are set up to host that type of race. Uh, we are discussing it with Air Worlds. Um, we have a lot of things lined up as far as TV production, prize purse, sponsorship, permits, um, a location, of course, and we think a format that can challenge the elite teams as well as the. Um, the other teams that want to experience a world-class race within the United States. 
and I, I'm guessing you don't want to say too much, but will the format be kind of the way it is now? Um, yeah, we, we think that format works. Um, mm-hmm. But with Worlds, we have to have it a nonstop race. It will yeah. be a nonstop race. Um, there will not be time credits. But okay. I think there will be ways for teams that are not world class can compete in the race and um, be able to experience all the days without being three days behind the lead teams. Um, okay. And I don't want to give away too much. You've seen yeah. our race format. Those The elite yeah. racers don't get a rest unless no. they opt to get a rest. And that happened this year with teams coming in with points still out on day one. Um, so they could rest. But then it allows a lot of newbies to to uh, to catch up. Um, or, you know, there's going to be a lot of ad hoc teams that can – can uh, race in worlds in this, in this format and mm-hmm. it will challenge the best teams in the world, that terrain out there, the altitude uh, that we have um, to, to utilize out there will challenge everybody. But the number one factor for Mark and I is communications and safety. And we yeah. want to do a good job. We will challenge everybody, but if the waves are too big on one of the reservoirs, we will have an alternate format and it might put people back on bikes. It happened with me in Primal Quest Montana where they had to pa- cancel the second paddle section because yeah. it was flood uh, conditions. So yeah. uh, safety is our number one concern and it will be a format where the elite teams will race nonstop. But logistics for us will be similar to how we design our race course now. So, yeah, sounds cool. Um, here's Here's – something that kind of interests me does adventure let's see how do do we need tv for adventure racing to make it a little bit more mainstream anymore or is the internet enough you know with tv right now um it's you you have so many options you know you get over 100 channels so uh, i don't think you need tv i think you need to i think it helps though um We we were fortunate enough to be on CBS a couple of years ago with the Cowboy Top, and you know it, it had a three and a half percent share or something, and that was literally that was being shown in over three million households, which is great, um, yeah. so that people can see what adventure racing is. It really helped with you know uh, Eco Challenge being on TV, but you have so many channels now. When it, it is on TV, is anybody watching it? Yeah. So I, I think it's a, a balance with things like you're doing podcasts it's with short videos. Um, uh, I think there are magazine articles that can be written about the race, mm-hmm. but uh, I think a, a mini series can be put together with, uh, with the internet. However, yeah. I, for bigger sponsors, sometimes you need to say TV's involved. Um, it really uh, gets a bigger sponsor kind of more engaged, but I don't think so. we need it. I think it's, it's a sport that there's enough, Bases that are out there that we're going to keep these things are going to keep growing and growing and growing. I mean, we, I think we've only seen one race that we produced drop in numbers and uh, out of our adventure races. Everything else has increased, and the epic did go down last year, but it's because we created the strong race that had 130 racers in it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you combine the strong with the epic racers, now we had 250 people racing versus 160 from the previous year. So it, the race weekend grew, and um, I think uh, 
I think people are looking for something different. Uh, triathlons, I believe, are kind of starting to, to go back. People are looking at these ultra runs or the, the mm-hmm. Ragnars and those types of things. And I, I think we have the potential to kind of continue to move in that direction. And I don't know if it's going to ever be mainstream. Um, no. But I think it's going to be something that you can get, you know, 100,000 people behind that are really going to start liking it and get involved. I'd like to see USARA get more teams competing um, in nationals. It would be great to have 100 yeah. teams competing, but maybe open it up, have more types of teams, more divisions, those types of things. Um, so. But, yeah, I, I think it can grow. and It's just a matter of growing through multiple platforms. That is uh, both print, uh, TV, uh, Internet, podcast, all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah, well, I think yeah, new new media, new normal. I think again with that. Yeah, so, um, you know, and just my two cents worth. I mean, it was great that outside covered Primal Quest, and they did a really good job, but nobody could see it, um, and and that was really frustrating for a lot of people to know that it was out there and not be able to see it. So. Um, yeah, you know what I think we really need, and this is where you what you do really helps, uh, but you're a one man shop. It is, yeah. you need to, like I said, in those transition areas, get some interviews, uh, get some yeah. updates, get some online tracking, GPS tracking so people can watch it. Um, mm-hmm. but you need the interviews before the race. Uh, and that's what, like I said, Mark's been doing, and we're going to probably do more of them this year is talk about the leg that people are on. So, you yeah. know, they're on a 26-mile paddle. They're going through a class two rapids. Have a picture of those rapids. But, you know, you can, the nice thing is you can go out with a GoPro camera and do these little tiny things before the race, but then they have to be loaded. And then yeah. throughout the race, these different videos pop up of what people are experiencing. And then when you have people coming into transition, interview them on what they've experienced and what they're going through out there. What are the, the highs and lows? Why are they still doing it? That really engages the audience that isn't there. Because now they're kind of living some of that experience by seeing what they're going through, hearing them talk about it while they're actually on the course, hearing them down and out and it's raining, yet they're getting the rain jacket on and going back out. Those are the stories that I think we need to tell. It's, nobody does this for money. They do it for passion and to push themselves. Yeah. And if more people yeah. knew how hard some of these athletes are pushing, how hard you push in a Cowboy Cup or a Primal Quest, you know, how, how bad that body is hurting, that's a story that's not getting told. And I think that's what you do with the new media, with the internet, GoPro cameras, those interviews. Uh, I think that's what we want to do better uh, at Rev3, and I think that's how you kind of tell the story to get more people involved with it. But you have to tell the story. If you don't tell the story and if it's two pages in a magazine, it's not enough detail. It's not enough pain and suffering. It's not enough of the drama that really takes place. And it only highlights Mm -hmm. one team or three teams when you have 60 teams out there. Yeah, yeah, need to get a little of everything. I've really been trying to steal your idea of of having stuff out on the course beforehand. So when somebody somebody's tracking, you know, and they say, "Oh, my team's right here." If they could pull up a little video of that area and see what they're doing, I think it's like that would really bring them into the into the fold, so to speak. Yeah, I think we're going to really do a lot better job this year at the epic. Yeah kind of doing that so mm-hmm. as we're setting the course this spring we'll be shooting more of those videos you know we're learning along the way so the first year uh, mark went out to wyoming shot a lot of great videos but then when that wind's blowing it's hard to hear so you know yeah. a little bit better mics will be used yeah. maybe doing three or four takes 
of that same video so that we have better quality. It doesn't take that much more time. But yeah. I think for the Epic this year, um, we're going to do that. What's nice about Cowboy Tough is that we have the GPS trackers. So you can go to yeah. the maps and watch that. And that's been our struggle is we can't get a sponsor that will give us the GPS tracking for the year. So for us, we can go and buy it for each race. And it, it's very costly. Uh, mm-hmm. So for the Epic race, when we get 65 teams competing in that race, It'd be great to see 65 GPS trackers on a map. It just gets so expensive for us because we have to then move their rate up. So there might be an yeah. option in the future where you can click to be tracked, and then we push the cost back to them, but we build the back end. So if you get a DeLome tracker or a spot tracker, it automatically feeds to our map. Um, yeah. But those are the things that we talk about to the, the winter of 2016. That's because Mark's background in technology, he'll probably be like, okay, we could do this. And then what I'll do, or Vanessa will do, is we'll really work with Spot and Delome and see if they'll give us 100 units for a year. And then we show them what we did this year with the videos, give them a sample of what we did with Cowboy Talk, and then they'll be like, hey, you know, this is great. It's great marketing for us because you know what our most visited site is? The results page. Okay? And if it's sponsored by Delome or Spot, boom, your logo's there. And literally on race weekend, like Cowboy Talk, it's tens of thousands of people might be hitting that site. It, it, it's Absolutely. great traffic for that site. Um, and, you know, I think that's we're, we're going to do a better job with the Epic this year. And then probably with the three expedition races that we are, or three long races that we're doing this year, we'll, we're going to have that format where we have those videos shot. And that was really Mark's brainchild last year. I think one of the issues we ran into, I shot some for the Bartram's race, but then I got home and you get all this wind background noise. Yeah. But that really kind of tells that story. It, it, it's just time on our behalf that we have to dedicate to it. But I think yeah. that's the next step for us. So, yeah. Well, you know, I know a video guy, so I can put yeah, you in Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, need you in the, we just need you in Georgia, Northern Virginia, <laughs> Wyoming. Yeah. Wyoming's uh, easy. I know. That, that's an easy one for you. It um, is. So. It's, it's, the, it's the, the cost in many cases for us. It's, you know, yep. we still have to make sure – um, that we can make a slight profit margin so that uh, the the races, I would say our adventure races are probably the least profitable, but they're yeah. our biggest passion. And yeah. because that's the one, if you break down the hours we put into one of those races, you're like, wow, you guys are doing this for below minimum wage. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we're, we're going to continue to do it. Our challenge was we couldn't do five or six of them a year. We had to say, okay, let's do three race weekends a year on the adventure side and do a good job. So we're kind of doing three and a half this year. We have another one called the trail mix this year. Since we're doing nationals in Georgia, we have another one in September called the trail mix, which is in Northern Virginia. Then we have the Shenandoah Valley. And then of course, uh, Wyoming. And, um, yeah. you know, we, we want to build all those. And if an opportunity comes up in California in February, you might see us out there. So we'd have a, another one in the future, right? Mark was actually, possibly looking at a course out there to explore that, but that's at least a year away. Um, but that's our off season and that would be a good market. Yeah. There's nothing out there hardly except for gold rush. So yeah. Yeah. And we think it's a, a good untapped market. It's just infrastructure, equipment, those kinds of things. Um, but that's what we do. So we'll, we'll figure it out. Cool. So anything we haven't checked, checked in on? Uh, no, the only thing, I think I more or less talked about everything I 
in, as far as notes and so forth, but mm-hmm. I would say a little bit about the future. Um, one thing that we're sampling this year is we're doing a kids' adventure camp uh, in August this year. 40 kids, oh. and those kids are going to be mountain biking. They're going to learn orienteering, some basic ropes, paddling, kayaking. And I think on our horizon, our staff meeting today, we kind of talked about uh, an adult adventure camp um, where it's something mm-hmm. that you can come to and maybe spend five days at the end you um, compete in your own adventure race with your fellow students and uh, but at the same time you have some fun you got some night orienteering that takes place some whitewater paddling some repelling um so we kind of toyed with that idea and i think we're going to explore that and then you also heard that other nugget of a possible future another adventure race weekend um in a January, February, March time frame for us, probably someplace in the south. Uh, not guaranteeing to be California. Mark kind of talked about it. He didn't get enough time to explore that option there. Um, but, you know, there's other southern states, and there, yeah. we get contacted all the time. We try not to step on any other adventure race uh, companies that already have an established race. Our market's yeah. small enough that we don't need to step on their, their toes, so we look at different venues and different locations. And so forth, but I think um, that's on our horizon is maybe an adult camp if our kids' camp goes well, and um, then uh, maybe one more adventure race uh, weekend someplace uh, in the future. Sounds and uh, and <laughs> I will dangle yeah. the carrot that when we did plan our first year of the uh, Shenandoah Epic Race, we did plan a 50-hour race uh, in the for Northern Virginia, Maryland. West Virginia area, so there could be an expedition race in our area in the next couple of years. So, well, there you go, everybody. Uh, send your emails to <laughs> <laughs> Mark at RedFordVision.com yeah. and yes. yell at me. <laughs> yep. Say, we will be there to, if you put this race on. So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we like what's happening in Wyoming. We'd love to do something um, here where we're, we're based. Uh, and we know we have we have great uh, uh, access to Jefferson National Forest. We have the Shenandoah River and the Potomac. So great paddling areas, um, great hiking trails and biking trails. I mean, there's there's all these different mountain bike courses that we can hit along the way. Um, we have good infrastructure with staffing in this area, and I think both of us would love to host something in the. Uh, the D.C. region uh, expedition race. And, you know, Doug has his Equinox Traverse. Odyssey used to have their e-fix here. Uh, and then Untamed, of course, has their event up in Maine. But we're kind of in our own little area, which is northern Virginia, which shouldn't affect, you know, Doug's race or Ronnie's old race and those types of things. We can we have our own area, and it's just it's beautiful, especially in the fall. So, well, cool. All right. So – Time for me to take the dog out and get our hike in for the night. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, Randy. Um, hope to talk to you again soon, and we look forward to for sure seeing you out in Wyoming. And you've heard a little bit uh, about what we're trying to do video-wise and so forth. Uh, we'll we'll have a couple more crews out there working yeah. with you this year, and, and you and I think Radcliffe will be teamed up again because uh, that's a good partnership for us. But thanks again yeah. for your interest in hosting this, and we look forward to working with you and talking with you more in the future. Sounds good. So everybody else, go out there. You know, you got a lot of races coming up, so go fast and take chances. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks, Randy. Bye now. Bye.
You can't let me 